The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles and look at John 5. We'll be there in just a moment. We're starting a new series this morning, and we're calling it Christianity 101. And that might sound, you know, so banal to you. Of course, Christianity 101, we got this, we know this, it's not a big deal. But let me tell you what our goals are for this new series. I'm not exactly sure how long it will last, a couple months, maybe longer, depending on how it folds out. But, but here's some things we want to get across as we work our way through this series. Number one, we, we want you to get the big picture of the Bible. The big picture, right? That's the first thing. Um, we want you to be able to look at the Bible and know what it's about, Right? That someone asks you, what's the Bible about? That that you'll know, that you'll have an answer. And that you'll be able to see the continuity in both the Old and New Testament. So, we're approaching this with the idea that we want you to have an idea about the big picture. Not only that, we want you to be clear on what it teaches. Okay? In light of this big picture, what is the Bible telling us? What is the Bible teaching? We would call that doctrine. Right? And, and you need to be fearful or skeptical of a church that says, we're not about doctrine. Okay? That's problematic. Doctrine's teaching. And the story of the Bible gives way to the teaching on what God wants us to know from His Word. Alright? And we want to be clear on that. And so the idea is we get the big picture, we talk about doctrine, and we go through the major doctrines of the Bible that you know, you understand, because there's real fluidity. Uh, there's, there's lots of different ideas about, I mean, things that we take for granted that we need to, to nail down. And so we'll talk about those things. And then we want to move from there for, to see how the knowing, experiencing, and living are all interconnected, right? It's not just that we get the story of the Bible, we get the doctrines, and then, then we're good. Uh, how we live and how we experience one another, it's all connected. The knowing and living are together. So that's the goal. Here's the format. This morning... And maybe next week, depending how it goes today, I will, I will bring the introduction and we'll just get sort of on the same page. And after that, we will have a series of doctrine or teaching on the main topics of God, mankind, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, Jesus Christ, His divinity, His humanity, the Word of God. I think eschatology is in there as well. So the main ones will be discussed and we'll take about 35 minutes every Sunday talking about these and the, the key will be, it'll be different men taking each of these topics. So it'll be exciting to have a different voice coming across with these topics, and they'll give the word, we'll talk about the doctrine, and afterwards we'll just sort of wrap it up and, 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 and bring it all home together. So that's what we're looking forward to, and I'm excited about it, and it should be a great time. So that's the deal. Don't miss now. I mean, you're here, we want more folks to come. We really view this as getting our people on the same page, being instructed, and and the long term on this is that our church is solid on the Word of God, solid on the doctrines of God, and solid solid on, on discipleship, on teaching people the Word of God so that our church grows and our church matures. So, So be aware, that's where we're headed. So, let's begin this morning. It's important on how we approach the Word of God. And this is really key as we go through this, on, on what, we, what we view the Bible to be in our lives. Listen to what Jesus says in, in John chapter 5, starting at verse number, not starting, starting but ending, this is just it, verse number 39. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and here's what he says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think you have eternal life, 
and they are they which testify of me. And so Jesus really lays it out for us about the scriptures. He's telling us that the word of God, all of it, testifies of me. It's about me. And, and our problem is that oftentimes in our hemisphere, in our culture, we as believers, and I'm talking about we as believers, we approach the Bible the wrong way. Sometimes we approach the Bible like a how-to book. Right? So, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better Christian man. I want to have victory in this area. I'm deficient here. So I just open the Bible as a how-to book. Or, um, along that line, you know, I want my best life now. Which, can I tell you something? For the believer, this is not your, if this is your best life now, you're going to die and go to hell. Right? This is not your best life now. Our best life is to come. We are in a sin-sick world today with lots of problems. This is not our best life. We will suffer. We will struggle. This is not just name it and claim it, right? But people come to the Word of God, and the idea is it's this how-to book that I just open it up and and I, I learn everything I need to learn. Now listen to me. Does the Bible instruct us? Yes. It does, and it's important, and and you're going to see these things sort of laid out as we go through, but listen to me this morning. It is not primarily a how-to book. I'm going to shatter your bubble this morning. The Bible's not about you. I'm sorry. We don't come to it setting our own agenda and saying, well, what what is God saying to me this morning? So, oh, this is for me. Um, certainly there are things for you, but it's not about you, right? It's just not. So this how-to approach is not the way we approach the Bible. It's a how-to book. Secondly, sometimes we look at the Bible as just a book on morality, right? That's got great moral stories. And so if we're not careful, we, we go to the Old Testament especially, and we have these stories, and it's like, okay, dare to be a Daniel, Right? And so we write a song about it. Dare to be a Daniel, dare to take a stand, dare to something, stand alone, and something. Anyways, I don't even know the song. But the idea is that, that look, at, you need to be just like Daniel. And this is this example for you to follow of Daniel. Or um, be like David. Slay the giants in your life. Ever hear those messages? Slay the giant of doubt. Uh, slay the di- giant of debt. Slay the giant of depression. Slay the giant of dumb stuff. I mean, all the D's that go along with that. It's like, okay, be like David. Slay these giants um, in your life. Um, Or be like Abraham. Be like Noah, faithful and persevere. Um, And so that might be fine, but what happens when we learn that Abraham lied? Over and over again. What's that? Very good, Mr. Manning. It is a, it, I'll get there in a minute, okay? <laughs> Noah, persevere. Noah got drunk. David not only killed Goliath, he killed another guy and, and committed adultery, right? Now, granted, what Mr. Manning just said is true. These things are given for an example, and we have examples in the Bible on morality and doing right and doing wrong, and examples of what not to follow. But if you're going to the Bible as surely a book of morality, and like this is what we're supposed to do, and take these examples, you have missed the point. It is not primarily your moral guide. Now, it is a moral guide, but that's not the main thing. It's just not. 
What is the Bible then? The Bible is a drama. The Bible from cover to cover is a story. And it's one story. You, you know how this works, I think. Um, stories are powerful, are they not? Uh, you, you know how I feel about people who hate reading. Do you know how I feel about that? Right? Same way about Whistler's. Mm-hmm. And Cubs fans. Um, uh, so, but when I hear someone say to me, I just hate reading, my first thought is, you've not read the right book. Right? Because if you grab the right book, I mean, it is powerful. It's powerful. I wonder this morning if you're here and you say, I have read a book that was so powerful, it really changed my perspective. I'm not talking about the Bible. But have you ever read a book like that, that you read it? It's like, okay. What did you read, Paul? Um, it was called, uh, originally it was called The Green Lighters. Oh, yeah. But then uh, Principles of Spiritual. Mm-hmm. So it's a Christian book, but you read it. It was so powerful, it sort of changed you, transformed you. Good. Steve, what did you read? I read a book about two people home by themselves that were fishing, and they got lost in the ocean for a whole year. One survived, and his parents came there to get him from the Philippines and drifted all the way across the Pacific Ocean. It was an incredible story. Yeah. Wow. How did it change your life? About uh, perseverance. Like, huh? if, if you have a problem, that was a real big problem. Then. Yeah, for a year across the ocean would be a problem. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's good. And, and so it was, it was profound and affected you. Yeah. I couldn't stop reading. Good. Yes. Sandra? Uh, to evidence that the man is... Okay. Right. That was good because mm-hmm. my son also, he was a new believer and mm-hmm. that really helped him. Uh-huh. And then Fox's book, Amar. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful, moving book. Good. Any others? Kim? Um, when we were kids, we read Pilgrim's Progress together as a family. That book was powerful. And then um, The Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, good. Carolyn? High Speed. It was uh, about a young girl uh, that took all the bad things, and the shepherd said, If you trust me, I'll take you to the high, the, the top of the mountain, and you will have high speed where you can jump from ledge to ledge. He gave her two companions, Sora and something. And by the time she got to the top of the mountain, she was screaming first. Isn't that amazing and powerful for you? Cool. Any others? Some of you are thinking, yeah, Humpty Dumpty was my read. I really love that. <laughs> Damn. I think, too, when I was um, younger, when I first like, became a Christian, I didn't know just about what Christians, like, sacrifice and service is worth getting them for. Amen. And, um, and the screw tape letters. Yes. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different perspective after that. I read one time uh, the Piercing the Darkness, that series. Who was that? That was... Piercing the Darkness and Present Darkness. Yeah, Frank Freddy. Freddy. And after reading that book, this was in, in Bridgeport. We had a tree across the yard from us, and it was an old craggly tree. And then I could just see demons in it every time. It was terrifying. It was just terrifying. But you know, if you read a good story, it, it is, it is, there's something about a good story that just moves you. And, I, and these are great. I, I was actually thinking more secular works, but these were fantastic examples. There's some authors that I really like. I like Dickens. I think Dickens writes really well. I like Finnemore Cooper. I think he's very detailed. And I liked O. Henry. If you've ever read anything about O. Henry. I read an O. Henry book. It was actually a book. And it was, the story was so powerful. And, and you probably know the story, The Gift of the Magi. And there's a, there's a couple in the book. 
And uh, it was Jim and I think Della, they were dirt poor. They were so poor that they had a $1.87 to their name, and Christmas was coming. And so the only thing that they had of any value, Jim had an old gold watch from his grandfather, and she had beautiful long hair that came to her waist or longer. And they thought, what can we do? And so Jim had this idea. He would sell his gold watch and buy beautiful combs for his wife. And so he was all excited, sold the watch, and, and bought the combs, came back, he came back to the house, and his wife was there, and he said, I've got a gift for you. He said, no way, I have a gift for you. And she was wearing a shawl over her head, and she said, here's a gift for you. And, and she gave it to Jim, and Jim opened it up, and it was a gold chain for his grandfather's watch. And he sort of was deflated, and she, she said, thank you so much. And he said, i got a gift for you. And, and he gave her these beautiful combs for her hair, and she was undeflated because... Jim sold his gold watch to buy combs for her hair, and she cut her hair to buy the gold chain for her husband's watch. It was beautiful. I think I wept. I weep about a lot of things. But I, that and the Christmas shoe, dumb story, that. I read that one night. At, I did not love it, Joanne. I read that at like 12 at night, and I had a box of Kleenex. Just, it was terrible. So, ah, it was crazy. Anyway, but the story was powerful. That was a terrible book. I was by myself. Kim was just, really? That red shoe story is true. Is it really? That's sad then. Now it's even more sad. Yeah. Okay, we all cried about it. Anyways, but that story, I, I will never forget. That story was, and, and it showed, right, love and sacrifice and giving and, and, and powerful stuff. And so I want you to know this morning that when we talk about the Bible, the Bible is a drama, a historical drama from cover to cover, there is one story. And listen to me, be careful. We, we don't have two Bibles. We don't have an Old Testament, New Testament. That's nonsense. A matter of fact, you and I can't understand fully the Old Testament or the New without each other. How many times, and you should check this out, how many times in the New Testament do the writers reference the Old Testament, allude to the Old Testament, or make statements that if you don't know the Old Testament, you don't know what they're talking about? It happens over and over and over again. It is a historical drama. We need both the Old and New Testament. It's been said, and I think this was Graham Scroggy who said, the Old Testament conceals, the New Testament reveals. We need them both. What do they reveal? Here's what they reveal. They reveal one story, the unfolding drama of redemption. From cover to cover, we have a creator in the beginning who creates this world, at the end, a new creation for his people. And in between, we have the story of his love for humanity by sending his son to rescue and redeem us. I have to tell you, it's the greatest story ever told. It is. And from cover to cover, the story of redemption. And let me just say this to you, and this, I hope this makes sense. The great stories that we love outside the Bible all have elements of this, Right? Fall, depravity, redemption, salvation, even the Marvel comic stuff that comes out, what makes them great to so many people is this idea of redemption or salvation or this hero that's coming. Listen, this book is full of that because it's one story about the hero that will come. It is redemption. It's redemption. Um, The whole story is about him. And truly, every story does whisper his name. Now listen to me. This is how Jesus taught the Bible. Look with me, if you would, at uh, Luke chapter 24. 
Luke chapter 24. And this is, this is a great story in itself, but Luke 24. And it starts at verse number 13. This is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the road to Emmaus. This is a great, this is a great story. Um, and so here are these two folks. They're walking, talking. And behold, verse 13, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden or restricted that they should not know him. And he said to them, what are you talking about? What are you talking about um, with one another that you walk and you're so sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, or Cleopas, answered and said, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass uh, there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, uh, before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel and beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, uh, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they also have seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And, listen now, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And the story goes on. They draw near. They break bread. Um, He's revealed that it was Jesus. And look what they say now in verse number 32. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? It's an amazing, amazing truth that Jesus says, listen, it's all about me. All of it. From Moses to the prophets, from beginning to end, it is about me. Now, listen, it doesn't necessarily mean that every time we open the Old Testament, every verse and chapter is speaking of Jesus Christ, but... Understand this, he is the main character, and there's no way around it. And uh, we see echoes of him throughout all of Scripture. This is truly that scarlet thread from cover to cover. And so what I'd like to do this morning, the next few minutes, uh, is to go through some of these things and just to see it for what it is, so that you know when we talk about this big picture that we're not just making stuff up. It's here, okay? So let's start with this. So the drama shows him. That's what we're going to talk about today, this drama. But that drama then leads to doctrine. It tells us what we see in the drama, what it means to us, and how we're supposed to respond to that. From there, it should lead us to doxology, which is praise. When we see the real big picture of Christ, and then we know that the things that he's done, he's done for us, our hearts should burn within us as well. And it should cause us to praise him. And that praise then should translate into a life that's changed a life of obedience and good works so that we disciple others in this truth.
So let's just look if we can find clues of this drama, seeing Jesus everywhere. And maybe you can help me with this this morning. Maybe some of this will be old to you. Maybe some of it will be new. Um, But I want you to see that it's one story and it just reoccurs over and over again. Okay, so the Bible begins with Adam, not Abraham, right? Is it Adam? Okay, I think it's Adam. When I say Adam to you, is there something about Christ that just comes to your mind? Yes or no? If I say Adam, yeah, yeah. He was made in God's image. Made in God's image, okay, good. What about with Christ? Is there anything that relates to Adam? Dan? Um, his clothing. Oh, his clothing. What about his clothing? Stylish? Okay, right? Absolutely. That's good. We'll, we'll, we'll delve more into that. That's awesome. Joanne? Adam was given the promise that um, the serpent's head would be crushed. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Paul? Um, that Christ is the second Adam. Second Adam. Absolutely. <laughs> As believers, we start with Adam, and right away, we already know that Christ is called the second Adam. Good. Jen? Okay, good. Eric? First atonement. First atonement. Right. So... So you already know, just by saying that, and not even going deeper than that, we already see there's a connection with Jesus Christ and this first Adam. Let me say this to you, which I found really interesting, that in the Garden of Eden, it's almost as, well, it's not almost, it is. Adam and Eve are on trial. Right? And the trial is, are you going to obey me and trust in my sufficiency and my provision? Real easy. We get this wrong so often. Oh, God trying to keep you from good. They had access to every tree in the garden. When we say the world's your oyster, the world is your oyster. There was one tree, and God said, Do you trust me? Will you obey me? And will you trust that my provision is all you need? Okay. So what was the object then that, that was... This was the test. So what if we nailed, boil it down, what was the object? Do you know? I said the tree wasn't an apple. We don't know there was an apple. It makes for good stories and you know, good pictures. But it was some kind of fruit, right? So here's the test. They're in the garden. Paradise. Perfect. God says, will you obey me and will you trust my provision? Let me ask you this question with this fruit. Were Adam and Eve hungry? Yes or no? No. No. Not at all. There was no pro- It wasn't as if, God, we're starving. I and mean, I haven't eaten for three hours. I'm starving. That, that was not happening here. This was not a case of, you're not meeting our needs. They had access to everything. Okay. Did they fail the test or pass the test? If you said they passed, you're really in trouble because <laughs> you're messed up. Right? They failed miserably. What they're saying is, God, we will not obey you. We don't trust your provision, and we want to be autonomous. We want your job. Eric? I think they said that in their minds first. Oh, absolutely. Well, and you go through the whole temptation, right? That you're missing out. That you could be like us. That that God is withholding. Things don't change, right? And there's always, this is where sin always starts. Right? I don't wake up in the morning and say I'm going to you know, blow everything. It starts here and here with the thought process. Yeah? It started with a choice. Mm-hmm. 
I think we need to focus on that, you know, that we do have choices. But they made a choice. They absolutely did make a choice. They made a choice. They absolutely made a choice. Let me ask you a question. Okay. This theme, and don't jump too far ahead, but this theme happens again. And it happens with the children of Israel. Because now they're in a wilderness. And um, they're tested to see if you're going to obey me now, right? And you're going to trust my provision. What provision did God give the children of Israel in the wilderness? Manna. Manna. Okay, so they have this manna. When they had the manna, were they hungry? No. No, they weren't hungry. They were being provided for every day and double on Friday. I almost said Saturday, but that's later on, right? Double on Friday for the Sabbath. They weren't hungry, right? And so they're being tested. Will you obey me? Will you trust my provision? And, and here's what they did. Not hungry. Again, not hungry. They said, no. We want quail. We're missing out. Egypt was better for us. We had it all there. The leeks and the onions and the garlic, they must have stunk. But we had it all. This is, this is what we want here. And so they did not pass the test. They failed miserably. All right? Now, think about this. Here, here we have, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve tested with food. The children of Israel tested with food. Not hungry, failing. If I said, Jesus Christ, and I, I said his name, we know already that he's identified as the bread of life. And already there, there are powerful images where these people have failed in the sufficiency of Christ and obedience to Christ, right? He is everything we needed. But let's go a little bit further. You talk about wilderness temptations? Children of Israel? Yeah. What about Jesus? After his baptism, Luke 4, he's led up into the wilderness. Right? Paul and I just had a conversation about this. Right? And guess what? After 40 days, he's hungry. We're not talking about Adam and Eve. We're not talking about the children in the wilderness. We're talking about Christ who now is being tested, right, for obedience and sufficiency, and he's hungry. And, and by all stretch, certainly, Jesus, go make bread for yourself, right? But he doesn't. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Can you see? I mean, and it's all there. You don't need to make anything up, my brother. It's there. It's all there. And Jesus passed the test. He just passes the test. And he obeys. And he obeys for you and for me. And it's his righteousness. And so I'm telling you, if we just say that, and some things were already said, and we'll, we'll talk about the rest of this, but already we have an idea as we look at the Bible in its entirety. It's all about Jesus. And we see this happening over and over again. Isn't that amazing? I just think that's amazing. Eric? In Genesis 2, you have the first prophecy. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly right. There's so much happening, and 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 we miss it. Let's do a couple more because this is it's fun for me, and you're doing some talking, so I really appreciate that. Um, how about this? And this has been alluded to already. Um, someone said that if you were to take 
a puzzle box of the Bible. You know, you have a, the pu- a puzzle and you have a puzzle box. And you, the best thing to do when you put a puzzle together is not just to dump all the pieces out and throw the box away. That's a bad idea. Okay? Or let your kids play with it first because then you lose the pieces and you will never complete it. The best thing to do is take a picture of the box so you know what you're doing. And someone said if you took a picture of the Bible like that, the picture would be a lamb. Right? Tell me now about what you know about a lamb in the beginning. I think, Dan, did you allude to this about the enemy of sin? And right off the bat, already in, in chapter 3, we see the innocent dying for the guilty. Already. I mean, it's, and it's clear. And, and we don't have to guess what the animal was, do we? I mean, God clothes, he puts clothes on Adam and Eve and covers their nakedness by a lamb from the beginning. He clothed, he clothed, clothed Adam and Eve. All right. Tell me about the very next time you hear about a lamb or a sacrifice. It's Genesis three. What's the next time you hear about some sacrifice, Dan? Genesis four. Genesis four. Right. And 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 now here we have a sacrifice. And I want to tell you something. You know, there's real debate about Cain's sacrifice and what was the problem? Was it blood sacrifice? Here's the fact. The fact is, Cain came with an offering. He was recognizing God's sovereignty. Right? And it was an offering of thanksgiving. Look at the fruit that he had. But it wasn't a lamb. It wasn't the innocent dying for the guilty. It was a problem. Cain has a works atonement, and Abel brings the flock and, and a sacrifice atonement. Okay, so let's work our way through now. There's more imagery of a lamb, right? What about this one? What about when people are delivered from bondage? You can't read very far in Exodus before you find a firstborn lamb who is male and without blemish. And do you remember how they applied the blood? Yeah, the post of wood. Right? And so, I'm just telling you, when we're in the Old Testament, I love the Old Testament, and what I love about it is over and over again, we see Christ. He's there. Eric? Absolutely. And through Noah, right, we see that Christ is the true deliverer, that we're safe in him. I mean, it's all, it, you cannot get away from it. You just can't do it. And so we talk about the atonement. Uh, we talk about the sacrifices in the tabernacle, in the temple, all pointing to the innocent dying for the guilty. And then look with me, if you will, we'll close this thought out with Revelation chapter 5, verse number 6. Revelation. So we start in Genesis. We come to Revelation chapter 5. Um, we didn't even mention where John says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Revelation chapter 5. Verse number 6, John speaking, the, you know, the great um, heavenly throne chapters of 4 and 5. And, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. Right? From cover to cover, there is this lamb. It's Jesus Christ. Um, okay, what about... Uh, the priest. The priest. Um, this is just interesting, and I just found this the other day, that um, uh, 
the words that are used for Adam in the garden to keep and dress it, those Hebrew words are the same words that are used for the priesthood. To keep and address, to guard the word and to guard service. And there are many who believe that Adam was acting as a priest in the garden as well. Right? This co-regent who's a king and a priest. But in, Levi, in, in Leviticus, right, we have this, you know, our great devotional chapters of Leviticus. Right? We love Leviticus. Reading it over and over again. We're going to talk about 1 Kings chapter 4 this morning. 1 Kings 4 is not a devotional chapter, believe me. You'll, we'll read it together today with names we cannot pronounce and understand. All right? But Leviticus talks about the, the priest, his dress, his job, the tabernacle, um, this pattern from the heavenly. Um, can I tell you the best commentary for the book of Leviticus? The best commentary that you can buy. This is the truth. Now listen to this. The best commentary for the book of Leviticus is the book of Hebrews. It's the book of Hebrews. And you get one, it's, it's a buy one, get it all, it's a great package. You buy a Bible and it comes included, right? It's awesome. It's awesome. And you, you don't even have to go to the store, for, I mean, it's awesome. So, um, so, and you have all of this. We're going to be in the temple in a little bit in, in Kings, but the high priest, right? And the whole temple itself, the tabernacle, um, it's interesting, even the, the imagery there that, um, and there's a lot to say about the, t- the tabernacle and the temple. Um, but when the priest goes into the holies of holies, there's this idea of this, this, the, the blue dyed, right? The stars, the heaven, going into the very presence of God. That, that's, the, that's the idea of the priest going to the holies of holies, going to the very presence of God. But can I tell you something? He never really actually went there. Right? This was a, it was a pattern of the real deal. But the priest goes in, and he goes into God's presence, but he never went in. Yet Jesus, Hebrews tells us, went in. He went in. Not to the blue kind of stained ceiling that looks like the sky. He went into the holiest of holies in God's presence. Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 9. The priest never sits. Working all the time, man. Working all the time. The priest didn't go into the holiest of holies and then sit down. They did not do that. Yet Jesus goes in, and the Bible says he sits down. Why? Hebrews tells us. It's finished, man. And and here's the other thing. Think about this, right? Um, He goes into the throne room. He goes before God, the king of the universe. He literally goes there. He sits down. You don't sit down in the presence of a king. But Jesus does. He, He folds his hands and he says, It's done, Father. I've pleased you. Um... All the rituals of the priesthood, right? He had to go to symbolize, to clean himself, to, to make sure that he was pure before he went in. The, the ephod, right? That beautiful decorative ephod was almost like a covering, like a shield for him to go in before God's presence. Jesus comes on the scene, guess what? No ephod. Matter of fact, naked. And bears our sin. And so we see Christ in the priesthood. And, and you see it over and over again. And so shouldn't this change the way we look at the Bible, look at the Old Testament, how we read it? Well, it goes on. We can talk about the prophet this morning. Um, Moses promises in Deuteronomy 18 that a prophet's coming like unto me. But here's the catch. When prophets proclaimed anything like Hosea, great book. Hosea was a wonderful book. Um, but when prophets proclaim things, here's what they say. Thus saith the Lord. Why? Because he's not the guy. The, the prophet's never the guy. He's pointing to and telling you what God has already said. 
Here's what Jesus says. He comes on the scene and says, you have heard it said. Here's what the prophet said. Here's what Moses said. Now, now listen to this. But here's what I say. Can you imagine as a Jew the audacity to hear that? To have a man sit there and say, here's what Moses said, but I say unto you. Or, this is what they said about the Sabbath. Here's what I meant when I wrote that. <laughs> right? This is not, this is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And so we see it over and over again. Why? Because Jesus is the Word. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. John 1, in the beginning. These patterns go over and over and over again. Revelation with the word of his mouth. And so we see these things. Uh, the kings, uh, a pattern, uh, an example of when they do well, we see Christ. When they do poorly, we're reminded that we're still waiting for our king. Right? The law, obedience, uh, it goes on and on. We, there's, there's plenty. We'll, we'll, well, we got to stop with that. Okay? So here's the point. I want you to get the big picture. And here's the big picture. It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. And it's his redemption. And so as we look at the Bible, and as, it, as, as we go from this idea of, of the drama to what the drama says about we'll talk about this next week. Because God did a wonderful thing. In this drama of his, he has written his people into the story. You are not a people, but now you're the people of God. And so the doctrine is going to tell us what we need to know now about this huge story and the part we play in it. I'm telling you, it's fascinating. It's exciting. And, and maybe you're not excited about it. That's okay. I am. I think it's fantastic. And so walk away with this. There's one story. Old to New Testament, there's one story. It is the unfolding drama of redemption. And if you look, it, you don't have to search. Open your eyes. You will see it over and over and over again. It is a story of redemption, the story of our Savior. So we're going to go from drama to doctrine to doxology to discipleship, and we'll work our way through. Any questions or comments on that this morning before we stop? Mr. Manning? I think that when we study this, it's going to unfold every doctrine. Again, like we talked about, it, just the, like the Trinity's coming out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, it, it'll flow into another doctrine, so it's going to be exciting. It is going to be exciting. And, and, and that's the other thing, right? The, the story is not just, oh, it's a really cool story. It's going to move us. And then the teaching should move us and change us. It's going to be, it's going to be great. So I'm, I'm, I'm building up for all the guys who come behind me. It's going to be great. So no pressure. It's going to be fantastic. All right? But it will be. It's the Word of God. And as we see it unfold before us and what it means to us, it will change us.